Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. Welcome back to this week's episode of Windowsill Chats. I'm excited about this one because I am sitting down to talk to one of my dearest people, my business partner, friend, brother, longtime accomplice, Aaron Foster. Aaron and I had a wholesale repping business together many years ago, and it was halcyon days, pretty much. Just such a wonderful time in my life because I was doing things that I loved and felt so creative. And I had a business partner that pushed me and we kind of helped each other along the way, but learned a lot and really made a great mark in the world of good product. So before I tell you a little bit more about Aaron, drum roll, the review of the week. Thank you very much to Major Medical, which makes me wonder, who is that? Thank you so very much. I am suiting up now, Margot Tantow. The information you are bringing to light via these podcasts is inspiring. I'm going to get in the game now and play with abandon. Go for it. This one I picked for this conversation because it is a very circuitous route that Aaron has been on. He's had his hand in all sorts of things, and he's like so many of us, still figuring out what he's going to be when he grows up. But he's certainly done a great job of just living life the way he felt like he should at the time. Each project he's taken on, he's taken on with such determination and just real integrity. A couple things that he said that I loved were, you're not going to be good at things right out of the gate. Don't wait. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? And be ready for opportunity. Do the work. So take a listen and see what I'm talking about. Aaron has done lots of things, as I mentioned. He's really a serial entrepreneur. He's had his own line of wholesale home furnishings, art, license plate art. He's been a TV host. He's been an actor, a writer, a certainly a fantastic bike rider. He's been involved in sports nutrition. And most recently, he's wrapped up a fantastic run with the most amazing restaurant voted best pizza in Nevada food and drink. So take a listen as we reminisce and talk about the twists and turns and the decisions we make and hear a little bit more about Mr. Aaron Foster. So there's some people listening that have known us for a really long time. And there's some people listening that don't know who you are at all. How did we meet? Can you correct me if I'm wrong? Uh, My first memory is Picking you up at the airport. You guys came up from LA to do the San Francisco show. I had been working at Beach House for about a month and didn't really even understand what we did as a business. Well, by that point, I probably did. But So let's tell them what Beach House was. So way back in the day, this was working with a company that was a wholesale representative of other companies. This company was called Beach House, and he represented like a company that made furniture and a company that made candlesticks and company that made bedding. And he took that all to different wholesale shows. And I had met him because I had a store with my mom at the time. And I, anyway, move somewhere else, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. But I, I was like, hey, I can help you with this business. So I did. I helped him set up the shows and I helped him kind of manage it all. And Aaron needed a job and had answered a an ad for, I don't know, an office manager or something like that. 
Yeah, small growing company needs office manager, uh, you know, start as ASAP. And, and I just was like, all right, well, I just need a job to pay the rent. That's how our, our foray into wholesale began. So we would do shows and kind of manage the whole thing. And you know how in some jobs you learn what not to do as well as you learn what to do. And we would we would manage like clients and things like that. And, and the owner of the company, I won't mention any names, would um, say things like he'd be on the phone and he'd be like, no, it's right. They're loading it on the truck right now. Can't you hear it? I'm on the dock. They're loading it. I was like, the loading dock is in LA and you're in Marin. Well, you know, the thing about that, that whole thing was I didn't even know that that was an industry that existed. Right. Um, when I walked in the door and I mean, I, I've told you the story many times. This was late nineties, shabby chic and I had this interview and he sort of explained what the company did, which I didn't really understand. But you know, at the end I said, like, if you sell all this expensive furniture, how, like, why is your desk all beat up? And he just laughed and like, I don't know, I guess that, you know. <laughs> it was a great company. I mean, he really did. Well, he was, yes, very creative. He was in over his head a little bit. So we thought we could help. Well, you know, I met you at that show in San Francisco in February. Right. And walked the show, but I, I didn't know enough to know what I was looking at and how it worked and who was who, vendors and manufacturers and customers. I, I, I didn't understand it all at that point. Right. And some of you listening might be like, what, what do you mean? So a wholesale, a wholesale it was a wholesale gift and home furnishing show. So it's where stores would go and buy things for their stores, but it would be all the way from, you know, zip pouches to sofas. So, and everything in between, depending on what booth you were buying from. So that was, that was where we were working. We were working in one of those things. And at some point along the way, it wasn't going very well with that particular company. And Aaron's like, why don't you do this on your own? And I was like, I don't want to do it on my own. He said, I'll do it with you. And so it took about that much time. It took a year, but it started, I think, in July. And when I went to the Los Angeles show, I had been there, you know, six months, seven months. And then I understood what the business was and right. how it worked and costs. And Aaron has a business brain. So that's very helpful. And then seeing you at the show and seeing, you know, that you knew everybody and everybody loved you and what you knowing what you did and contributed. It just and also being in the office and knowing what you were getting paid. I just was like, wow, this is why don't you just do your own thing? This is right. silly. And I'm a much better collaborator than doing it by myself. And just the idea, I had never thought of it doing it by myself. So uh, not to drag you all on this long story, but we started, took a minute to, to kind of get it sorted, but we started wholesale furniture and home deck and gift representing representative company. That's not even the, the right sentence called Relish. But we were... A wholesale company that had showrooms in Atlanta and High Point, North Carolina. We did shows in San Francisco and New York, almost Dallas. And we represented artists and small companies that manufactured their own things. And we curated. And it was some halcyon days. It was absolutely the most fun I've ever had in a job. Although I've had some really great jobs and some fantastic experiences. There was something about that where we were painting our own landscape, if you will. And customers would come in and spend, you know, pretty much the day there ordering one line and then the next line. And we made such great friends and it was a lot of work, but my gosh, it was so fun. Yeah, it was. And I, I think, you know, we've talked about this since that we sort of didn't, didn't know enough to know how good we had. It. I mean, we, I think we knew we had it good and that it was working and that we were paying our bills and we were getting paid and, you know, all that stuff was great. But at the same time, you know, I mean, it's cliche, but you don't know what you have until, until it's gone. It's true. I think we really, we really hit a niche there and people loved what we did and, and, I, and we loved what we did. Well, we, and we were very fortunate as business partners because I mean, obviously there's some overlap, but basically everything you brought to the table, I did not. And, you know, a lot of what I brought to the table, you did not. And so there was not a lot of places where we could run into trouble in terms of, I think we should do it this way. And you mm -hmm. would say like, no, you have to hang that picture that way instead of the way you hung it. I'm just like, yeah, okay. I don't know any better. That's really true. Up until then, I had always thought a business partner is somebody that you have like you love the same things and you want to like create this great, whatever it is. And I quickly learned that, oh my gosh, no, because we would all be wanting to do the same thing if that's, if that was it. So this was so ideal because we, our respect for each other's, you know, place in it was, it was always, it always drove me to do better because you were putting your all in and doing the parts that I didn't do well 
or we didn't want to and vice versa. But I think, you know, we both learned from that and took from that and grew into a more holistic, whatever, business person or a creative person too. Well, there was much, certainly much more overlap uh, in our skill sets at the end than there was very much so. Um, Yeah. And then as, you know, time went on and and it was, well, we'd had 9-11 and business changed a lot and it was harder to get paid and it was harder to... Well, it was always hard to get paid. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, the business changed, but it also didn't, which was a little bit of the the Mm -hmm. sort of obstacle for me in terms of, and I'm oversimplifying, but the shows were on a six month cycle, so they'd be twice a year. But so it was kind of like every six months we'd have, you know, eight to 10 new manufacturers and six of them would sell well, and four of them would actually ship their product, and two or three of them would actually pay us, only maybe one on time, and the other two or three, you know, two to three months late. So that was, it's hard, and it gets frustrating, and it also gets sort of repetitive. It wears on you, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there was a lot of sort of, we did all our work, and then you wait three to six months to maybe get paid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were lucky that we did good a good enough business that even that you know still worked for us and I think we we sort of stuck our foot in the water of growing to the next level but it never really happened you know on a grand scale like we never kind of made the jump to like we have 10 road reps and we you know and and you know I to our credit though we we did what felt right for us I mean we did grow so we had a you know I don't remember how many square feet that our showroom in Atlanta was five thousand five thousand yeah it was three that we shared with Brad and then we got another two with uh... and we made there, that's a whole other story into how we made that happen quickly because we're we're just say yesers so we did and that worked amazingly but then we thought the next thing you're supposed to do is grow to five and here's this corner space and and all of a sudden we couldn't I couldn't hear every conversation and I couldn't answer the questions that needed to be answered and I couldn't see all the way around and um we were having to pull in lines that we wouldn't have probably normally worked with and bigger lines meant they expected like you said us to have reps and stuff like that and i remember debbie coming to me and saying can i be honest with you is is this really you're you're this isn't doesn't feel like relish you know i was like ooh thanks for being that honest oh when we added the sofa line when we were just so big. Yeah, I mean, you're sort of wired to think that that's what you're supposed to do, get bigger. And 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 then there's that inflection point of, okay, you're bigger, you have, how do you continue the, the um, you know, culture? I mean, granted, it was- That was the thing. You know, how do you, you continue that way if you hire more people? And it's not impossible, but it's certainly difficult when, you know, you have such strongly held feelings and opinions and, you know, aesthetics and, and you know, so do I of, over different things, but- Mm-hmm. hard to let go of those things. And that's been a challenge that I've had, you know, my whole career of sort of letting go and how do you get to the next level? And- right. Cause, cause in, in every step, every step we take in a, in a career, we, we come to a point where we have to make a decision, right? Am I, do I do this next thing? Do I make a hire? Is that going to keep me creative or take it away? And as you'll hear, Aaron's had a lot of different creative things he's done, but that's an ongoing question we need. And I always say this to, you know, check your gut. And at some point, and we, we made, we had manufactured, we manufactured our own line of lighting. We manufactured a bedding line, but after a while it was like, we grew weary. Yeah. I think we were looking for other challenges and there was, you know, having a wholesale repping company that has a showroom in Atlanta and High Point and does New York and does San Francisco. And the other guy, oh, we'll just, we'll just make a line of lamps and drop it right in there. And we say 15% because we don't have to pay anyone commission. And like, oh, this will be so easy. It's like, okay, have you read about UL listing and lighting and regulations? And that was before the internet. And I can remember calling this lighting company in LA and saying, like literally saying, how do you wire a lamp? And they put me in touch with the guy in the back that wired the lamp. And he was probably, you know, 70 at the time. And he walked me through it on the phone. No, I mean, I, that's, I remember doing that, you know, yeah. going down the, to the back of that warehouse space and wiring lamps. I was yeah. like, I wonder if this is a good idea. People liked those lamps. Oh, they liked them. They're great. But I'm like, but they were- I should be wiring. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> wherever I read how to do it and they worked fine. And, but they were certainly never going to go. I mean, Target was never going to buy them from us. Cause you like, they're not UL listed and that's, you know, whatever thousands of dollars per. Right. Per we both, we both felt in our own ways that we need, we had things to learn still in our lives that might not be contained within the, the, the business that we were in. 
Yeah, I think it, you know, like I said before, it's sort of that same cycle that we went through of, of, and then the other part of that cycle is you get a company that's great and you do a ton of business with and you sell a ton of their stuff and they ship it and they pay you. And then they're like, Hey, we're paying you $15,000 a month in commission. We should just get our own showroom right next door to you, uh, which is the nature of the beast. It know? is. And we also, you know, it's that thing that we do helping artists get further along. So that's all part of the process. But as as our business model, you have to kind of suck it up and go like, oh, where's the next one of those that we can? Yeah. I mean, it was it was the 80-20 the rule of, of, you know, we would get 80% of our income from 20% of our vendors and spend, you know, 80% of our time on the other 80% of our yeah, vendors. That's very true. That right there doesn't isn't always the best equation. So then you did something that completely changed the course of your career. Oh boy, you did two do? things, but one of them was kind what of. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> one of them was kind of a. You didn't plan on making more than one. No, um, Christmas of two thousand one. You, I don't fancy myself, or certainly at that time, an artist. I can't draw. I can't paint. I stick figures, and you know. So for Christmas, I, you, you're, you know, you're obviously incredibly artistic and I've always been amazed by your art. So I would, in an effort to impress you and make something artistic, um, I made this license plate map, the United States. So I collected old school maps, these kind of roll down window shade kinds of these great colors from the sixties and seventies and whatnot. I had a bunch of those in my house and that became the template. And the original idea was just to go to the metal scrapyard and find a bunch of different colors of metal and different rusts and stuff like that and cut the states out of that. So they would contrast. And then somehow I hit on license plates, which are already all different colors and have the names of the states on them and all that. Um, so that was uh, a project that I made for you and and certainly swore I would never ever make another one because it was not super pleasant experience. Cutting out Delaware from a license plate is not easy. Well, I mean any of them, especially when you're your first time. Making that happen. Did you use a I don't remember this part, but did you use a old pull down map for a template? That was a template, yeah. I don't know if I made it. I think I, I think initially made got like tracing paper or something and, and did it that way. I feel like we did. We had tracing paper that we, we made put very on the flimsy back. stencils that I would, you know, soon draw soon around with a Sharpie. Like, you know. It was amazing. That first map still, it blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. I'd never seen anything like it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And so we said, like, let's put this in the showroom and just see what happens. You said, let's put this in the showroom. And I said, no, I'm never making another one. And that was not. <laughs> so we pulled the, literally went into my backyard, pulled the top off my aging vintage picnic table that was kind of a reddish, beautiful patina at the time. So we yanked that top off. The two of us sat on the floor and cutting out those things. You probably weren't very happy with me, but we hung that in the showroom. And who came along? Well, a couple of people came along. The first one that came along was a friend of ours. And I don't know if they were next door in the showroom at that yes, point they or were. not, but uh, Ray Langhammer, uh-huh. who worked for Barclay Butera Interiors and was a very sweet guy. And he bought it instantly for yes, his Park City house. And that was a surprise to me. Because he was somebody we valued his opinion a lot. I mean, you can't get more stylish than, you know. Right. And it's, you know, whether it's your style or not, but it's, it's Gucci and it's Prada and it's, everything is perfect and in its place and every, you know, it's Ralph Lauren furniture and it's, it's, I mean, everything is, is perfect. And you go to your house and you're like, hey, this is Fantastic. a show house. How do you live here? It's amazing. But I don't know how someone lives here. There's so many pillows. Um, but the fact that somebody like that would buy that piece was very unexpected. And he bought it immediately. He bought it like that. And I think we sold one other one to somebody. And then Hillary from Sundance came in who you, you know, we had worked with forever. And I, the way I remember it was you just kind of pointed it out across the showroom and she sort of said like, oh yeah, we'll do one of those. I, that's how I remember it. I don't, I don't remember it being like a big deal to her. It wasn't a big I, deal. She was just like, oh, I love it. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, Hillary. She was just like, oh yeah, let's, let's, yeah. I want that. But that, you know, turned into. That first year, do you remember how many you sold? Well, that was July and then it didn't come out in the catalog until January of, that would be what, 03 when I was back living in Northern California and trying to do my own lamp line that you were then representing, right? I had stepped away, I had, you know, left of that business and was kind of like, I'm going to start a lamp line and maybe I'll sell one of these license plate things every once in a while. They had said, but they will probably sell two or three, you know, it's expensive and it's unique. And and I thought, wow, that's amazing. That would be great if they sold two. And um, I mean, I told the story and I remember it. I was living in this little tiny apartment in Chico, California and I had a fax machine. This was a long time ago. And I just woke up and it was just spitting out pages. You were in New York at the gift show and you had my lamps and you had the license plate map. And I just finally got up and, you know, it was like, 
orders, I don't know what the first day was, like 10 or 12 maps had been ordered. The first day. The first day that the you know catalog was out. And the these were maps that Aaron was cutting out himself, remember, out of vintage license plates, which you didn't have. I just didn't have any concept that that was, you know, I mean, that, you know, certainly that was, you can go back as far as, you, as what was the moment, but that moment was like, my life changed, you know, dramatically. And I called them and I was like, what? what's going on? And they're like, we don't know, but you better, you better get your act together. Like, is this is going to be a thing. So they ended up with like 65 or something like that. The first year you sold another 20 or 30 through relish. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was all I did. The timing year. too. Cause you know, nine 11 and America and coming together certainly differently than, than we have lately, but it was people wanted a way to say, I value where I live. That wasn't a big flag or, you know, it just, it's timing was right. It felt interesting and unique and it was cool art. And, and Aaron went, then went on to do all sorts of things with license plates. And eventually, you know, people started saying like, well, what else do you make? I don't make anything else. Like, I don't know. And then I, you know, started making other things and those I have somewhere, I think, some photos of those, you know, original, like those little flowers that I did. And I just, I wasn't sure what to do or what direction to go. And and then just ended up with, um, you know, that cowboy playing guitar that turned out, you know, much better than I thought it would. And You were always surprising yourself, which certainly was no surprise to me, but you were surprising yourself, I think. Well, that, you know, I mean, I made, I made plenty of pieces that didn't work and the, the nature of that sort of collage and metal and you're working up close and then you kind of have to just like, all right, it's done and I'm going to go hang it on the wall and I'm going to turn around and walk 30 paces away and turn around and then like it either works or it doesn't. Right. Um, and it's just sort of sometimes you can't necessarily see it. Up close. I mean, now I know if something's going to work or not. But Right. But I think the cool thing is, you know, we all have, if we're doing something at all creative, right, we have other things that we like or things that um, reminiscent of our childhood images, you know, like whatever. And I think you did a good job of, of having ideas like characters and um, I don't, there's just so many things that, that you've made along the way that, that aren't made anymore. They're collector's items, but um, it was. Unless somebody wants to buy them, they can be made again. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. It's still, yes, the, the, the business is still in existence, but the, uh, the breadth is, is, yes. uh, has narrowed down because you've done other things since then. But then what? Well, I did that for a year. And um, I mean, the only thing I ever really wanted to do with my life was be an actor. And a whole, that was a whole thing for me, you know, growing up. And, and so I don't know when the idea hit because I that sort of started in January of 03, I think. So I moved to LA because that's, yeah. And I just thought, well, I have this job that's going well for the moment. Um, you know, and I, I wouldn't have to move there and be a, be a waiter or, you know, do someone. I just like, I have this, I can do it from home. I'm going to go get, rent a place with the garage, blah, 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 and, and just see what happens. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you thought of it. I have a couple friends who are like, you're going to do what? Like you're the like shyest, quietest person I've ever met. Like, what are oh, you talking no. about? I knew you better. I always figured, I always knew you wanted to do that. And, and I always knew that you, what you set your mind to, you did you're that person as well. So I really thought you were going to go down there and just get right in. Well, I mean, I kind of did to a certain extent. The map um, started it, which is this guy, Brian Patrick Flynn, who is now a big time designer and does a lot of stuff for HGTV and has his own production company and, and um, very, very nice, nice guy who reached out to me. He, at the time, where it was in, lived in Atlanta, worked for TNT, TBS, TBS, I don't know, TBS. And he worked, was a producer on a show called Movie and a Makeover, which was, if, if you don't know that, you might know the Dinner and a Movie, which is their more popular version of that. But it was like, we're showing three men and a baby and in the commercial breaks, we're going to make over a single dad's apartment. And he wanted to use the license plate map in one of their makeovers. And we just sort of hit it off on the phone and I had lived in Atlanta and I did done a, we you know, you had, you and I had done my house together and I sent him photos of that and I'm in LA, I'm pursuing acting. And so he was like, oh, you should be one of our designers on camera. You know, we shoot in LA sometimes, you know, shoot a quick demo. So I did that and I went to the, you know, I did it the best I could and spent some money and two guys in my acting class's apartment and made it over and hired like legit professional filmmakers who I met through a, a friend. And, um, you know, I did the makeover and interacted with the people, but they, they knew what they were doing, which is why I got the job because they put together, it's like a two minute, audition thing whereas I would have done like 10 minutes and I would have overdone it and they just like no short sweet done in out so I sent that to Brian in Atlanta and he he's like yeah 
totally as soon as we shoot in LA. And I thought that was a big deal. You know, this could be my break. And so, yeah, okay, be serious. But that, before that ever happened, you were living in Minnesota. You knew somebody who knew somebody who knew Didi that was uh, worked for uh, a production company that was hired by HGTV to do this new show. I was riding in a car with Debbie Hopped and she said, I have a friend who they're, you know, they work at Edelman and they're looking, they're doing this show, but they need somebody that knows something about home decor and he needs to kind of be young and cool and hip. And she's like, I was like, Oh, I have your guy. I totally have your guy. So yeah, I got in touch with Didi through you or she got in touch with me or, and, um, and I had that demo tape ready. Was that the demo tape where you wrote with like on the glass? Yeah. So that was those guys. That was those guys that I hired that had like, we're going to shoot this apartment through the glass and you're going to draw on the glass like John Madden doing a football game. We're going to take the couch. We're going to move it over here. We're gonna, you know, um, which HTTP loved and became a whole gimmick, which unfortunately I had to do for 60 episodes because um, it was a nightmare to set up and to deal with because I couldn't see anything. So anyway, yeah, I sent that off and I sent like my, uh, you know, catalog of my artwork and I don't know what else, but, a, you know, a cover letter and, um, you know, I think I think before I sent it, I spoke with Didi on the phone. And so it was this show, Freestyle. It was going to be a zero-cost makeover, which was perfect for me because I, I'm not a designer. You know, I'm going to have an aesthetic, a sense of aesthetics, and I know what I like. But, um, you know, if it had been like, we have $50,000 to make over two twin five-year-old girls' bedrooms, it's like, I, that's not a job I could have done. I mean, I could barely do the job that I got. Because freestyle is like, here's all their stuff. This is all you have to use. And we we really did a lot of that. I mean, you were totally primed for that from Relish. I mean, we exactly. yeah. we would our whole shtick was finding vintage things to display these lines on if they needed their own, you know, something separate to display them on, because that would mean that the people with the stores coming in could buy this stuff. And so every every six months, our showroom completely changed. So that was already you were so used to that and you enjoyed it to that. And I was like the idea of repurposing things and yeah. using them, you know, for things that they weren't necessarily intended to, which is, you know, not a concept I had any idea of before. I mean, I had no, I mean, I, when I met you, I was sleeping on a futon mattress that had been cut in half and duct taped together on the floor. But anyway, yeah. So that show, I mean, it was perfect for me. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the premise of it and my my abilities. But at the same time, sorry to sort of see behind the curtain here if anybody watched that show, but like I, I'm not sure there was a single episode that I didn't send you pictures of and like, how, what do I do here? So yeah, it was, to me, it was an acting gig because like, I'm not an interior designer. Right. I mean, I'm not really a host. That was not my personality. These, you know, hosts are generally these big personality. Uh, Extreme Home Makeover was the biggest show on television. You were a rare combo of acting and design and chutzpah and, you know. Well, and a heavily edited shot by professionals two minute video. I mean, I didn't sit with anybody in a room. They hired me, you know, which is again, why I thought I would be, would just get fired. And I'd be like, all right, well, this is cool. I got hired, I shot this pilot and then they recast or whatever. Like that's a cool experience. So you're the kind of person who has a high standard. You have a high standard for yourself. You have a high standard for the people around you showing up and and the work you're doing. And I think you've learned along the way how to, what that really means in real life and and et cetera. But at, at some points along the way, it's it's like why you stopped the TV show because you wanted to do it a certain way and they had other ideas. Is that, a, is that one way to say it? I stopped the TV show. I was fired and banned from the network. I mean, potato, potato. It's not, um, <laughs> it wasn't exactly my choice. Although I knew that was, you know, certainly a possibility. And at the time- yeah, because I, you didn't make it easy for them. No, I didn't. But they didn't make it easy for me. But that's a whole, you know, but it's also their television network. So they get to do what it's they want. It's true. No, I mean that, you know, I signed the worst contract in the history of television. I signed it. I did what I was supposed to do. I did it as absolutely the best I could. And then, you know, things sort of went off the rails when they wanted me to do a whole bunch of other stuff for free. But that's for my therapist and I to talk about. So as a creative person who wants to be an actor, fresh off a TV show thinking, oh, I had a TV show. Now I can do other things. Like, what was your, what was your thought process on, you still were doing a lot of license plate work. At the, uh, yeah, that was absolutely brilliant at that time. Um, which was great and which was, you know, paying, paying for this show that I was doing and flying back and forth to Minneapolis every week, you know, on my own dime. Uh, and my theory was just get on TV. 
exactly and if you're good that will lead to other things and if you're not then it won't matter and i'm making money with my art so like and i you know they made the offer and i didn't have an agent i didn't have any experience and so i just i don't know if i have any leverage here or not uh but when that ended yeah i just thought oh i'll just get another show right i know because that show was pretty easy to get at least it felt like it but that was a lot of very fortuitous things coming together in one moment right i had a demo tape they were looking for exactly the skill set that i had and you know all that kind of stuff so uh turns out getting a tv show not that easy um and i also you know then would go i would get meetings with agents but i was interested in theatrical representation which is which is you know films and television and they would look at my resume and they'd be like you've never done this before i was like no i just i I was just an actor on this they're like no that's hosting i was like no but i'm not that's i'm not a designer i'm not a host and they just so that didn't open any doors for me in that world it opened you know the doors for more hosting auditions so yeah i mean that, that so that never you know led anywhere i kicked around la for a while but you know, nobody tells you anything in LA. Nobody, at least that was my experience. Or if they tell you something, it's like, why didn't you tell me that two years ago? Like, <laughs> you know, but I, I mean, I got into the union, you know, doing extra work and, you know, I did stand up for a while, but I just, I still had no idea what I was doing. And I think the biggest thing is that I didn't, I just didn't have a concept of what it truly means to pay your dues in, in I think any industry, but certainly that one. Yeah. It's like, I did this TV show. I paid my dues. It's like, no, 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 no. Right. Big time. You didn't know do, you know, three or four or eight more of those over the next 10 years and have a 500 more auditions. Well, I think you were probably like many bright eyed actors who moved to Hollywood or moved to L.A. and say, I'm going to do this. And you got and you got the crazy good fortune of getting a show right away. So then it was like, well, this is just going to happen. And you worked. I know you worked really, really hard at that. I did, you know, for a while, but you sort of I just ran out of things to do I don't that, that, I'm not sure if that makes sense but like okay I go to acting class like when I really work on a scene that's right for me it goes well it doesn't always go well um you know but I, I know that sometimes it goes really well and so then it's like all right if I can find an audition for a part that's sort of right for me like I mean again all everything has to come together at the right moment to get a break in that world and I've you know since come to learn from friends who stayed and stuck it out and have real careers now and you, you're not going to walk into an audition for you know a network sitcom and book it if they've never seen you before but no I mean and and you know sorry going back I think we, you, you were talking about the high standards and that's you know that's a blessing and a curse and I don't, yeah, I don't see this as a pat on the back necessarily, but because it's, it causes so many problems and that's because I want it to be good, but it's also my own issues again, but you know, it's just more conversations for my therapist, but like wanting, like it has to be like my own sort of value as a human. Like I have to do something that's better than anyone else. Otherwise, like, why would you want to be my friend and all that kind of stuff, which is, it's not a super healthy way to live and get a lot accomplished. That is the, the fire that, you know, stokes your furnace, but, um, Right. But it, it it is tricky. I mean, you know, we all have our things that we're willing to our lines in the sand, right? We all have our lines in the sand. And and I know for creatives, it's tricky because you want to have your if you're designing and say you're designing product and wouldn't it be great to have it in anthropology or habitat or whatever. But but I'm only I'm only getting it in this store. That's not that, you know, so it's like you keep trying for that thing as an actor, you keep trying, you imagine you're going to be in that film and and you're just doing this or as a, and I think for you, knowing you going out of the shoot, like right away, you want it to be as good as it can get because your standards for yourself are high. And I think so many of us can feel that way and, and sometimes don't start because our because we're stopped already by, is it going to be good enough? And you've jumped in and you've jumped into some, you're willing to jump in and you jump in with high standards, but. Well, there's that, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's a, this American life guy. It was years ago. It was a thing that he said that somebody, you know, made into a video that went viral of of the process or something of like, yeah, Yeah, with all those words. Yeah. Of like, you know, if you have a sense of style and you know what you want, and then you want to start doing that thing, you're not going to be good enough to make it up to the style and level that you want. So that's going to be frustrating. And the only way to do that is to make a bunch of stuff that's not that good. And that is something that I, is a huge challenge for me, especially in acting. All the things you've done. 
Yes, but it's it's strange. I mean, the things that I've jumped into with you know confidence of starting you know making a living as an artist and, and starting a sports nutrition business and starting a restaurant. I mean, these are not unchallenging industries. But I never had any doubts about those. You know, acting is the only thing I ever have any doubts about. Well, that's interesting. But with acting, you're bringing yourself. It's just yourself. Like an audition, peel the skin off. Like here, here I am. And with those other things you've done, you had you could say. I learned how to make a pretty good pizza and here, you know, and I know, and know the steps. So yeah, somebody's judging you when they take a bite of it, but you know, it's good, you know, and right. I, think- I already know it's good. And, and and that's, that's the case with acting. If my challenge is always like, I don't know if they're going to believe it. And I just get in my head about it. I'm too in my head, which is why I like, I hate improv, but if I'm the script, I'm fine. If I can rehearse it and know what I'm going to do and make my choices and everything. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, slightly uncomfortable right now because this is essentially improv and I, I don't know what you're going to say. So I don't know if I'm going to have the right response. No, I, I have a, I have a, a very, um, I don't know, fear, I guess, a fear, like doing it wrong whatever right. it is and sort of being seen doing it wrong, but that's the only way to like learn anything and to get better at something that you're not good at. Um, There's the value right there. And I know we can say it, but it's, and I've never tried to be an actor. So I, I have a huge appreciation for the fact that you've put yourself out there. And I remember talking to you, so, you before certain auditions and hearing you tell about what the room was like and who was in there and what they did. And, and just like, Oh my God, I don't know how you do it. It takes a lot, I think to do it over and over and over again. So in doing so, you you kind of decided like, okay, maybe I need to focus on some other things. And like, how did you decide that you were ready to maybe not done with acting, but maybe done with LA or done with that? Yeah, well, it's a it's a tough town. And I, you know, had it about as good as you can have it, right? I had a, a nice place to live in a quiet little neighborhood. I, I worked from home for a long time. And then I, you know, once we got got a little bit bigger and hired employees, I got a, got a workshop. And, but like, it's a tough town. And, and I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable, you know, cliche. It's like the biggest cliche in the world, but like the traffic that is unforgivable. It gets to you after a while. And, mm-hmm. you know, having a friend that lives seven miles away, they're like, yeah, it's going to take me an hour to get there. I'm not going to get over there. And just hitting the wall with the business more than anything. You know, I yeah. did stand up for about a year and was okay at it you know it wasn't terrible it wasn't wasn't like put me on the tonight show by any stretch of the imagination but that and then that's a thing that once you realize like oh to be 37 and to realize like oh okay this maybe could be a thing if i do it every night for the next five to ten years just the uncertainty of that i think and challenge of that that whole thing i mean that's a crazy that's a crazy business and so i was just yeah i was done i moved back to the bay area for a little bit and then uh my undergrad college roommate, Alan Lim, Dr. Alan Lim, who we used to race bikes with and was now a you know professional cycling coach in Europe and worked with all the big, big guys. He sent me, I had reached out to him with some like training questions and I was riding a lot again. He sent me this powdered drink mix that he was making for his athletes in the Tour de France and stuff and told me sort of a little backstory of it. And I was like, well, you know, and he had somebody that wanted to buy it and as a business. And I told him, you know, don't do that. Like, let's all move to Boulder. We'll start a business. And uh, so we did that for, we talked about it for six or eight months or something like that. And then we kind of bumped into each other on a big ride up in Northern California, like a 5,000 person ride that we ran into each other. And it's he's like, you know, how do you start a business? I was like, you just make a hundred pounds of drink mix and we sell it. And then we'll make 200 pounds of drink mix. And, you know, so the sort of origin story was caught on film. And so, yeah, he's like, yeah, let's do it. And then, you know, a week later I moved out to Boulder and, and uh, that, that, you know, started that, that saga five-year cycle of my life of, of, you know, sports nutrition and something else I don't. And it's called? Uh, it's called Scratch Labs. So it's, you know, it's an all natural version of, of Gatorade, essentially, and there's bars and you know, cookbooks and all kinds of stuff. And I think the thing there, like watching from the outside is people are like, what? You started, but, you know, Aaron was always a bike racer, bike rider, bike person. And Aaron and Alan at school had done this together and had this passion together. And Aaron, you're an entrepreneur and you you knew you could start businesses. You knew he could start a business. You knew this was something like, and and I can imagine your thought process, like, why would you give that to somebody else when, when we, you could just do it? And he's like, same as me. Like, I don't want to do it by myself. You're like, oh, I'll help well, you. Yeah. And that, you know, it was a very, it was very similar in a lot of ways to, you know, you and I starting Relish of like, this person is, uh, you know, a superstar in this category, in this industry. Like, and I mean, I, 
not to sound opportunistic, but like, yeah, if I can get into business with somebody who's the best in this, this business, like, sure. I mean, Alan is, you know, very, very well known and established in the world of cycling at the time. And I mean, he still is, but, um, and the backstory of the drink was great, right? He was, every team in Europe wanted it from him and they were dumping out their sponsors drinks and, and using stuff that he's making in hotel rooms across Europe, you know? So it was like, yeah, this, seeing the potential of someone else and, and, you know, trying to hitch my wagon to their star. I mean, that's sort of a selfish way to put it, but that was certainly an aspect of it, of knowing like, well, I know what I can do and I know that I can. Yeah, don't sell yourself short because, you know, that person is like, all I know how to do is make drink mix. You, If you can, if we can work together to make it a business, like there's a mutual respect there, like there was for us there's like let's let's do this because i can only do this part and you you have that i had that vision. other vision up to so. a point you know my my business i mean scratch very quickly outgrew my sort of business acumen and i you know i moved out there expecting to sort of be you know oh, i'll be ceo alan will be sort of face of the company and blah blah, blah the smart guy and, and then we have this one other partner ian mcgregor who's one of the smartest people i've ever met and kind and great with people and he's like like wow like he's and it's like no you should be ceo and then i fell into a little bit more creative role and that was kind of the beginning of a different outlook on that kind of stuff for me i mean i had my art and that was my business and that's creative but it sort of was somewhat routine also and so starting to develop some more creative ways i really wanted that brand to you know have um I don't know, a good personality for lack of a better word and be, be kind you know i mean this book the stuff that i read you know um uh, he just passed away, uh, the Zappos guy, uh, and his, just the kindness of their customer service. And, uh, you know, we really instituted a lot. I mean, I did, I sort of instituted a lot of that because I was doing it all initially, packing all the orders, answering the phone, answering all the But you're right. You really did a lot of thinking about that. Like the, the razors guy too. I remember you were, you were really into that simple marketing, grassroots marketing, like let's write nice notes on the box when they go out instead of shiny, Yeah, you know, and that fit the brand really well. Yes, people liked it and people liked what we did and the product was great, which I mean, you can only get so far with a good whatever company identity or personality if the, if the product isn't great. So it just seemed like an opportunity to like we, we need to start here and not not try to because once you once you let that go, you can never get it back. And you, you start here and, and then hold on to it as long as we can kind of thing. When a company is new and grassroots and it's coming from, it's coming from a passion, it's, it's not coming necessarily from, we have an idea for a company. No, we have an idea for a product. So, so then the ideas flow and, and some work and some don't. So you have to reach a point where there's a balance between, okay, we have to get this product out the door. We have customers and how are we going to grow? How are we going to grow? Who are we going to grow with? That's there again, those challenges in, in another business. Yeah. I mean, you know, knowing where you want to go and how you want to get there. And obviously you have to adjust along the way, but you, I think you have to start out with some kind of a basic ethos or something of your company and what you want it to be and what you want it to stand for and how you want it to work. And yeah, I, I don't, you know, the idea of like, cause we could have certainly raised money. I don't know what we could have raised, you know, millions of dollars, but I'm sure we could have easily raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, but like, you know, why, you know, we have my garage, we have a product, we have this like, let's just do that. See, see yeah. I think it's, you know, it was another case of how do you yourself want to show up? What do you want to do every day? And at some point you made the choice to be involved, be less involved. And because you, again, you're a, you're a passionate, you're a person that's passionate for what you're, you want your everyday to look like. And, you know, it got further, the ethos got further and further away from um, maybe how you wanted to spend your everyday. Not that it was wrong for the company. No, it's not. I mean, it's, they built a great, great company that has, yeah. you know, has been, I don't know, you know, top three places to work in Colorado. I mean, it's, it's, they have a fantastic culture and they're great people and it's, but I just, it sort of, I mean, outgrew me to a certain extent. I mean, management is not my thing. So like I'm a founder, I'm a, I am a, you know, one of the main owners. And it's like, well, I, I'm not going to, I mean, I could pack boxes and I mean, I, you know, I did, but it's just sort of finding where I fit in there was really challenging as we got bigger and bigger. Cause when you're small, I could, you know, you do a little bit of everything and then, oh, we got someone to pack boxes and we got someone to answer the phones. We got someone to answer the emails. I'm like, All right. So, you know, and I started kind of making some silly videos there, but not to the extent that I've done done more lately with my restaurant. But that was trying to figure out how to be creative from a branding point as the company sort of at the same time outgrew maybe that sort of branding. 
that's sort of very like I set up a camera and talk to it and it's like well you know we're we're in target like we need to make a professional video like I don't know maybe we do maybe we don't but I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that it's just the direction that and you, know, you have you have 20 employees and they have kids and they have mortgages and it's like when well, we you know we can't take quite as many risks as we as we did in the beginning right so would you say you're better at something smaller where you can I think smaller and with an end date Yes, I was going to say, you're a good startup guy. I'm a good startup guy. I love figuring things out. How are we going to get all these pieces together at the same time and make them all work and smoothly and all that? And um, and I'm stepping out now. Yeah, and that that's took me probably longer to figure that out than it should have. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to work, be all in and work all day every day for uh, a, 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 as long as there's an, an end date. That, you know, there again, as a creative which you are, call yourself what you want, but you are. So I think, you know, being a starter and knowing that that you thrive off off the idea and the growth of something. I mean, I think that's challenging when we're, it's up to us to pay our own, our own mortgage, et cetera. But also knowing that that's, that's really the best part for you. So, so when, when you're slotted in, into a, like, okay, now we're a bigger business and we have to conform to these things. I don't work well in that either. I know that. I've, I worked a few times for companies, a big company that that wanted fresh ideas, but then really they didn't so much because they're so big. Everybody thinks they do. Everybody thinks they do. So I, you have a thread of acting and you have a thread of the map, you know, the license plate things and you have, then you, you know, I feel like you, you went to what should I do next with all that, of course, and decided to try something else new. I did. Yeah. Which all started with a three hour Wednesday night cooking class at a, you know, culinary school in Boulder, not a school class, but just like a, you know, Hey, Bobby homemaker, come and, you know, learn how to make street tacos, which I did. And I learned how to make what I wanted to make, which was the uh, mole sauce. I was very excited about that. And then they, they're like, well, mole, you know, it's like 48 ingredients or something like that. It's a complete circus and uh, and then they're like well why don't you guys your group also can make flour tortillas and then you know everybody's you know, making all the stuff and we had these great tacos well i'd never had homemade flour tortillas before and when i ate them i was fairly upset at my life of eating tortillas out of a package and i just didn't understand like wh- why have i never had this before and i have since made mole sauce zero times and i've probably made ten thousand tortillas so that kind of started me off on this idea i was definitely a latecomer to sort of good food. Alan at Scratch uh, definitely sort of started introducing me to that. And then that was, you know, tortillas was one step and then started to just look up recipes and make them and realize like, oh, this is not that hard to make good food. <laughs> and and then again, getting upset every time I went out to eat and stepping away from Scratch and had the genius idea to start a restaurant, <laughs> which I did in a little tiny town in Northern California that of course, you know, Gray Eagle, and which was great because it was not a lot of money to start investment wise is existing restaurant space. And, and this is Aaron's like, is a, I'm going to do this thing kind of guy. That's yeah. Great. And you were like, I'm going to figure this out. And you do. And I, I always get so much, uh, so inspired by that. And I, I hope if, you know, those of you listening, you can, you can just try that thing because. Well, and, and yeah, backing up a little bit, which is, I don't know how much later it was, probably a year later, I actually enrolled in that culinary school in Boulder as a student and I lasted two weeks and then I, I got most of my money back and used that to open a restaurant because I was like, I don't need to spend two weeks learning buffet style you know, cuisine. I have no interest in that. You and knew I, what you wanted to do. You know, spent five grand and went and spent a week with the best pizza maker, one of the best pizza makers in the world and learned how to make pizza. And I had my tacos down and that was it. I opened a pizza and taco restaurant in a seasonal town that's busy from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And yeah. So anyway, I did that for two years and lived in this tiny town, which was great for a year. And I loved it. And the second year was kind of in my 40s and single. And there is there's nothing going on there nine months of the year that's under, you know, 70 years old. And there's nothing going on socially at all. And summer, you just work all summer. And it just was kind of like, I mean, a lot of things happened in terms of, I was living in a cabin in the woods, which is sort of what I always wanted to do. A cabin in the woods by myself and I'll have this job that I can go to if I want. I don't really have to. And, and then I got there, I was like, oh, this is lonely. So it's like, I need to move somewhere that is not seasonal and that I can build a community of, of friends, if nothing else. Yeah, smart. Uh, and so it ended up in, ended up in Reno uh, back in 20, January, 2018. Right, and you opened? It took me two years, but I opened a restaurant here 
He poured his heart and soul into this fantastic, looked so long for a space that was perfect. I got to go down with uh, my son, Cooper, and Aaron's parents, and we it was fantastic looking. And again, it was shades of the old days where we just, you know, made it happen. It had a great, it had great employees, fantastic staff, great menu, fantastic location. And literally 39 days in, everything closes down. 39 days, whatever it was, uh, I closed down. Everything else closed down two days later. I mean, what happened was like we were super slow for, you know, like a Tuesday and a Wednesday night. And, you know, the news, I had just hadn't had any time. I didn't, you know, I'd heard coronavirus, China, Italy. But at that time it was like, oh, it's older people. It's, you know, senior citizens. It's like, whatever. And you just like, yeah, bird flu and swine flu. Like, eh, whatever. It's another one of these things. It's going to, you know, kill nine people or whatever. And then Thursday night, March 12th, nobody was in the restaurant. I was just there by myself. And I sat down, I read the news and I read a bunch of articles and I was like, oh, okay, well, this is happening. And I think New York had shut down maybe by that point or was in the process of it. So I made a video and posted it like, we're going to close. We're just going to do takeout and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And I just figured that was it. I figured the restaurant was done. Nobody knew that I was there. I'd only been around for, for five, six weeks. And, you know, there's no way I was, I didn't even want to do takeout. No, you did not. <laughs> <laughs> that was an absolute yes. And so I was like, well, we'll do that. You know, we'll, we'll give it the old college try. And then but like, that's just it. I'm just bad luck. So that video went kind of viral locally and everybody that knew shared on Facebook and it hit the news. And so Friday night was like kind of busy, but Saturday night, I think it was on the news. And when I turned on ordering, you know, it was like 90, 80, 90 pizzas ordered in like 10 minutes before I could turn the thing off. And all the website said was like, place your order and come pick it up in 10 minutes. Cause I didn't think it was going to be busy. And so then we had a horde of people at the door and I was like, well, this is not helping. Uh, it's a pandemic. Well, we got through that night. I mean, it was a, it was a somewhat of a shit show, but and then, so that night, you know, I went home and we redid the whole system to be set up by time slots and X number of pizzas for every 15 minutes. And from then on, it was, you know, kind of totally smooth sailing as far as that went, because there was, it was impossible for us to get oversold. And it was, I was in a weird place a week before COVID with the restaurant. I'm like, I just spent all my money and this is going to take all my time forever. And it's the same thing every day, kind of. Like I mentioned before we press go, I think restaurateurs deserve a special place and wherever we're oh all my going. God. I will never not feel guilty eating out again. Right. So long story long, it's been a great success. No short thing of that was your marketing. Your Aaron did these videos, which you can see at on Instagram at food and drink and really kind of your act. You got to, you know, you had time, right? Because you were running a restaurant, but nobody was coming in and you were, you could do it the way you wanted and you could market it the way you wanted. And so you had, you created this whole like show, if you will, kind of. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because all of the videos, I mean, I did sort of daily like, Hey, it's me. I'm checking in on you. I did those, which were one kind of the videos that I did that, you know, certainly lended some people liked and kind of humanized me and like, oh, this guy, like you're not, you're not buying a pizza from, you know, Domino's, you're buying a pizza from this guy. So I think it, it personalized, you know, humanized the whole thing to a certain extent. But then I made all these silly sort of movie spoof videos, movies that I had, you know, videos that I'd had ideas for, for a long time, but thought like, well, I know some filmmakers in town, we'll shoot them, we'll, we'll do them like completely legit professionally. So they look really great. And all that was out the window. Cause first of all, it wasn't an option and it just didn't matter. Like the stakes were, both super high and super low at the same time. Right, like, right. You have to do something or no one's going to buy a pizza from you. And it's not going to be perfect. So you just have to, so I just sort of fell into this, I don't know, pattern of, of that's what I did. I made a bunch of these, you know, completely absurd, ridiculous videos with terrible lighting. And I, you know, press record on the sound and press record on the camera and try to get in focus and then do, do one part and then shoot the, turn the camera around and shoot the other part and edit it together. And People seem to dig it. So I kept doing it. And then it's sort of like, well, I can't stop. I don't know how much of this is contributing to like sales, but I guess I better just keep doing it. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, you know, people that have reached out and the support that we got was really, really incredible. You worked your tail off hard for the whole pandemic to feed people well and show up strongly. And then you made a, a really big decision that was a surprise to many. Yeah, we reopened um, in May, sort of. I mean, every time, I, and I, nobody, we, I didn't have a customer in the restaurant until May for you know, 14 months, 15 months, whatever it was. 
and places, you know, town reopened, then it shut down again, 50% capacity, 30% capacity. And we're just like, we're just doing takeout. Like none of that's going to work. But we reopened in May to uh, vaccinated people only, which some people loved and some people very much did not. And there was only three of us at the time. It just, the idea of reopening fully and training and staffing up a full staff and just going back to the way it was. When it never really was. When it almost never really was, yes. And sort of like, okay, well, this is going to be all day, every day of my life for the next year, if not seven. Um, and coming through the pandemic and like, well, there's other things I want to do. I still want to act. I want to write, you know, all these things that I have never really committed to 100% and shied away from. And it's just kind of like, well, this, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I mean, I love my restaurant, but we, we closed at the end of June. Mm-hmm. And um, just called it a wrap. And I'm literally probably an hour away from, from signing uh, the final sale of this to, a, to another local businessman who's a friend and, and uh, has a team, has, has multiple locations of a, of a great coffee shop and um, you know, knows how to manage a business and knows how to run it. And that, which is, that's not my thing, managing and, and training and stuff. I just, uh, I mean, I can do it, but I'm not good at it and I don't enjoy it. And it's uh, very challenging for me. I think it's really good to realize as we, and unfortunately we don't know it when we're younger, we gain this with years and experience that it's okay to just want to do what you're good at and what you like. <laughs> yes, you can get away with it. And it makes, certainly makes more sense. Like, you know, why, I mean, I always knew opening a bigger restaurant, my place in the little, you know, in Greg, a little town was, you know, I had one employee basically. And yeah. I could run it by myself when I had to. Um, right. So tiny, and this—you know—that's out of the question at this this place. And I always knew that was going to be the biggest challenge: hiring, training, staffing, managing. And I didn't ignore it, but I didn't do anything to prepare for it either. Mm-hmm. Well, I think if it had gone, like you know, if it hadn't been the pandemic, certainly you know you're you're ramped up to run a restaurant. But then, like, there's no way around the fact that it had it turned into something totally different, and then gave you the space to make a decision for what was next because it found success in a completely unique way, which was takeout only in this big space. You had to make a decision, like, do I want it to be? I've I've built this thing business that can't be this way anymore. It just can't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I said a few times to friends during the pandemic of like, you know, anybody that comes out of this and isn't changed by it, you know, is, is missing an opportunity. And now that's probably a very privileged thing to be able to say in terms of having options, but I just didn't want to go back to the, to the way that was. And, you know, there's other things to do and, and yeah, in a perfect world to be like, yeah, hire a manager and let them run it and make some money and don't worry about it. But I just, I can't, I just can't wrap my head around, around it working that way. So now, you know, it gets to live on and we'll see what happens and how it changes and whatnot, but uh, hopefully I'll still be able to get a decent pizza in town. Well, and I think it's a really interesting path that your 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 creative life has taken and your life has taken and it's 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 trying things that feel you've had the good fortune to be able to try things that sound like it's what you want to do and make decisions along the way of trying something else or it's not working and and I think the fact that you're coming back to writing and creating film work or you know whatever that turns out to be with your hand in a few of these things you've done along the way. How does that feel? Uh, I mean, it feels like I, you know, I'm a very slow learner (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, you know, I've made this, you know, not mistakes, but I've sort of repeated this pattern over and over again of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Like, oh, if I have a successful business that will fill this, that will be enough. And that will make me, that will make people like me. That will make me, you know, worth something as a person and, you know, blah, blah, blah. A lot of, you know, very unhealthy sort of thought processes that I, that I have and deal with of like my own value as a person and like will only exist if I do something that's the greatest thing you've ever seen. You know, the idea that like, I'm going to make somebody a pizza and they're going to have a bite and they're going to go jump out the window because like, that's it. They're, they've had, it's not realistic, uh, <laughs> but it's also heartbreaking when it doesn't happen. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the, you know, the pandemic and sort of making all the stuff that was far from perfect and stuff that I never would have put out, never would have put out as much of the pandemic. Um, mm. You know, I'm, I'm hopefully that will, hold a little bit and I will be able to lean into the sort of the learning curve of, you know, it's okay if I make a short film and it doesn't win something. It's like, it's not the end of it. It doesn't mean you're a terrible human being. No, it's, it's putting it out there. I mean, I think, you know, this whole thing come wraps back around to 
just do it. Just try yeah. it. I mean, that's the bottom line. And it's sort of become cliche and it's like obvious, but it's also just, it's not, you know, I mean, I, that's something that I've really struggled with is this idea that like, you, you're just not going to be good at things right out of the gate. Uh, you know, it takes time. And I, 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 it's, I don't know why it's taken me so long to, to learn that. It seems obvious, but it's hard. It's hard to see a film that inspires you and that you love and that you want to not copy it, but like, oh, if I could do that, maybe I could do that. And then to like work on something and just be like, oh, wow, this is not very good. Because I've made tons of stuff and some of it's pretty good and some of it's not. And I, I mean, I know the difference, or at least for what, what works for me and what I'm happy with. And um, it's, it's frustrating to make stuff. It's less so now than it was. What's some advice? for somebody that has a, has a dream, has an idea. Don't wait. I mean, you know, I, there's no way I could have moved to LA when I was, you know, 19 or 22 or 25, like I would have lasted a week, but like, you just have to, I mean, it's so simple and it's such a cliche, but like, you just, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? You're not gonna, nobody cares if you fail for more than about, you know, 30 seconds. I mean, embarrassment is just not really a real thing that certainly doesn't last. Right. Um, I mean, unless you go really crazy and it's on Twitter or something, but also who cares? You're going to wish you did it if you don't. Ah, I love that. And I, because of you saying, let's do this, my life completely changed. You know, I wouldn't absolutely would not be where I am right now. And I just think, you know, I love that you, you just go and do. And I, and I really appreciate that you bring along the rest of us. Well, I, uh, I, I mean, my, there's no single person on the planet that's affected my life more, my adult life, certainly more than you. I mean, if we had not started Relish, I would not have made license plate art, which has paid for everything I've done for 20 years, including starting all these other businesses and everything. Uh, I mean, I've been very, very fortunate that that has not been a ho- my hobby has, you know, paid for everything or not, not hobby, but, you know, creative you know, artistic aspect rather than that sort of, I mean, I got really, really lucky. And that was, that was again, a a confluence of everything perfect, which is like, oh, I made this thing. Oh, I already have access to 5,000 home buyers with this Mm -hmm. thing that I just, tomorrow, I I could get that in front of Sundance with credibility because we've done business with them for two or three years or four years or whatever it was already. Whereas I was just a guy making that in my garage. Then I'd be like, well, what now? What do I do with it? Go to the flea market and try to sell it for $400. That's true. It's it's where you are and and what who you can get yourself in front of. I mean, I think, yeah, it's being opportunity. Well, I'm not going to get it right. Cause I never remember these things, but like opportunity is plan planning or I, you know, like, I mean, having that demo tape when you met someone who was looking to hire, to cast an interior designer, you know, like I had it already done. Right. That was again, all those things sort of coming together, preparation, right. Opportunity is, you know, preparation or whatever. It's just, ha- you know, being ready for it, doing the work, even when there's not necessarily a outlet for it or, a, or no one's waiting for it. Right. If you're passionate about something and you have built something up, just even yourself, if you love doing a certain skill, you know, type of artwork and you're trying it or you want to you want to run a restaurant and you you learn enough to know that, you know, whatever those things are. If you want to run a restaurant, call me and I'll. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who's inspiring you these days? Oh, my goodness. Well, you are as always. And, uh, you know, I realize that's a, that's sort of a cheating answer, but it's very true. And in a million different ways. And like I said, my life would not be what it is without you. I can't even imagine what it would be. Outside of that, there's a guy named Jim Cummings, who's a filmmaker, indie filmmaker, who I have only recently discovered about a month, six weeks ago, something like that, who is just amazing. And he made a short that won Sundance back in like 2016, I think. Mm. Um, And then you know, I've sort of watched all his stuff in the last two months and listened to, he's on a bunch of podcasts and he does his own sort of YouTube channel of how to like make your own movies and stuff like that. Anyway, so he won Sundance and like, oh, everybody wants, he's the darling of Hollywood. Everybody wants to meet with him and, you know, meetings, 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 we're going to make, we're going to, and then everyone, and like nothing happened. And so he just turned his short into a feature and, and he did some crowdfunding and some, some other, got some investors and whatnot and, you know, made this thing for, I think, 200 grand. And, um, and then it won South by Southwest and got just, and then he, didn't huh. get distribution. He did his own distribution and so right. made, you know, made more money back and has since made, you know, two more features and um, does a bunch of other stuff. And it's very, very inspiring. I just think there's so many things we get hung up on. I mean, even look at social media, like, oh, your feed has to look a certain way to be doing what feeds are doing these days. And I'm like, 
Yeah. I've always been that person that's like, okay, I'm going left if you're going right. But yeah, but it's hard to sometimes it's hard to realize like, oh, I didn't go left. I went right with everybody else. And I didn't mean to. Yes. But well, that's a very strong current. It is going that way. Yeah. And it's hard to go against it. And that's, you know, that's always been my policy. And that sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's not. But yeah, I think you just what are you going to be happy with? You know, the idea of, of compromise in order to sell more units or, you know, what get more likes or whatever it is like, it's just, you know, how are you going to feel about that? And what and is it going to be sustainable? When I let go the idea of sort of having this huge restaurant successful and like blah, 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 and just sort of like, well, this is who I am and this is what I do and kind of take it or leave it. I mean, I didn't phrase it like that, but it was, you know, we were certainly not for everybody in terms of this ridiculous stuff that I was posting and whatnot. And, um, but, you know, I found my people, which was the whole goal. That might've been your biggest lesson of all, really, because you were forced to do something in a way that you had to, you had to make a new way than, than you originally thought, you know, two weeks right. before. And, and it will be really interesting to see how that informs what's next. Even your writing, I think, because you, you really know that your people, you don't have to please everyone. And he, and you never have tried, I don't think, but this really pointed that out in a, in a different way. Yeah. And then, and just, you know, the, the way we dealt with the pandemic and people are like, Oh my God, you're not reopening. Why aren't you reopening? It's like, well, you know, we'll see what happens. again, like we found our people and there's clearly people that were like, that guy's crazy and whatever, um, which is fine. But I mean, that's the beauty of now the internet and social media and everything is like, you, you don't, I mean, to put it in like, like a acting TV terms, it's like, you know, there used to be three networks and the love boat got 20 million viewers. And it's fine, but it's terrible. And now you don't need 20 million viewers to be successful because there's 40 networks. You know, you need half a million or whatever. And you don't have to get everybody anymore because you can get your people and get them on board all the time. That's such a hard thing to remember is to, it's okay. And the, the pie is big. The pie is big and the more direct you get, the fewer people you need, you know? Right, I mean, all right, these like right. comics that have their podcasts that now do theaters instead of clubs because they're like, hey, I'm going to be in Boston at the... Wilbur Theater with 1,500 seats and instead right. of a, because they can reach all their people directly, you know, and that, that goes across the board, you know, for everything. I just, I don't know, for me, there's not a lot of people that I have this, I don't know anyone that I have the thread with, like I do you, where we've, we have worked our fingers to the bone, you know, together and ideated and, and supported each other's paths. And I'm just lucky that we have had the chance to do that. Yeah. Well, we've been in it, you know, we've been in it together and yeah. It's like, well, yeah, we own the company, but it's 1030 at night and we have to break down the New York show. And that's just, what are you going to do? Are you going to do it? No one else is going to do it. Uh <laughs> I think being willing to do it is what creates the experiences too. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Again, I'm, you know, 49, it's a little late to be figuring this stuff out, but like, that's what I'm interested in is experiences and moments rather than like, I have a restaurant. Aren't I great? Or, you know, I sold this much art. Aren't I, don't you like me because of that? And it's just like, this doesn't, it's not really worth anything. <laughs> right. But um, I'm just more interested in, in having experiences with people at this point than anything else and challenging myself to get out of my own, my own way. Well, those are two big, those are two good things and not always easy to do together. <laughs> I can't wait to see what you put your hand to next because it's always interesting. It always works in some way that's maybe unexpected and it's always worth it. Uh, well, I'm a little bit curious about that myself. I adore you. Thank you, Aaron Foster. I love you, Margo. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Windowsill Chats. Thanks so much for being here with me. It's just so great to be able to bring you these conversations with the fantastic people and wonderful friends that I've met and made along the way. Make sure you subscribe to Windowsill Chats on your favorite podcast app and please share it with a friend. And if this episode spoke to you, I'd really appreciate it if you would also leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can just go to the bottom of the episode you've just listened to and it'll let you leave a review. If you have any questions or want to check out more details or inspiration that we talked about, head over to the show notes at windowsillchats.com or tantostudio.com. They'll both take you to the same place. I can't wait to share more stories with you again next week. I value your time and I absolutely believe in your potential. Have a great one, everyone, and stay creatively curious.